Yeah, I'm like Neo now. <laughs> oh, that was good. That was good. That's Morpheus. Happy weekend, everyone. Jurassic Views, Ottawa's Raptors podcast. Saturday, sunny. Not a lot to complain about. 10 degrees here in Ottawa. I think it's safe. I think it's safe to say spring has come, at least for today in Ottawa. I know it's April Fool's Day, so maybe there's some mind games, some some Jedi tricks that are happening by Mother Earth, but today anyways, it feels like spring. Looking forward to a date night out with my wife. Haven't had that in at least a month, um, but could be longer. Regardless, we're here for Raptors basketball, not about my marital relationship. So uh, let's get to it. But before we get to Raptors basketball specifically, Let's just highlight quickly. Let's just take a moment to recognize that it's Final Four weekend. The women had both of their Final Four games last night. LSU Virginia Tech was the first one. And the main event, the game that was the most anticipated, undefeated, uh, reigning NCAA champions, Don Staley's South Carolina against Caitlin Cooper. Some have called her the Luka Doncic of the NCAA women's game. I would call her the Steph Curry, partly because uh, her movement away from the ball is a lot better than Luka's, and her defense is a lot better than Luka's too. So I'm going to call her the Steph Curry of the NCAA game right now. Uh, Both games were fantastic. Virginia Tech, the one seed or a one seed, they uh, carried a lead 59-50 going to the fourth. And then LSU smacked them with a 19-3 run to start the quarter. Virginia Tech poorly managed the end of the game to try and get back in it against a team who is 222nd in the NCAA for free throw shooting percentage. Um They were down six with about a minute 30 to go and just didn't foul and allowed LSU to run out the clock. And their guard, their point guard, Morris, uh, was incredible throughout the whole game. But down the stretch, just made the best plays and said, hey, I'm better than uh, whoever can cover me on the perimeter. I'm bet I can, you know, undo your pick and roll. And she hit free throws. She made nice buckets in the paint and burned them um, in that last minute 30 to not even make it uh, a concern that it was a two-possession game. And that's concerning when a coach just, you know, has that slip. In in the next game, Iowa-South Carolina, um, South Carolina showed up as this absolute monster of a team. And size-wise, they were. They averaged 20 points off 
offensive rebounds. But they proved very quickly in this game because Iowa just clogged up the key, played a 2-3 zone that started at the free throw line and really never left the key. Uh, They just absolutely clogged the key. It actually reminded me of uh, teams playing the Raptors. Uh, this, this, this is like a vision six, nine in NCAA women's basketball. And unfortunately, uh, they weren't able to get the job done. Caitlin Cooper scores 41. She goes 40 piece, then 41 piece back to back in the women's NCAA championship first in the elite eight. And then in the final four, when's the last time anyone, anyone, regardless of the final four, When's the last time anyone put up back-to-back 40-point games in the NCAA tournament? That's outrageous, especially at that level, um, at at that high stakes a game, Elite Eight and Final Four, just incredible. Um, Zaya Cook was brilliant in the first half for South Carolina to keep Don Staley's team in it. But honestly, Don Staley got outcoached, and it's really unfortunate to watch a coach be stubborn and stick to what got them there and not be able to adjust. And in a lot of ways, the way the team looked, the way the team played, um, you know, just resting on simply their strengths instead of taking away some of the strengths or poking at the weaknesses of Iowa um, they played right into it. And, and it reminds me of watching a Raptors game with Nick Nurse this season. And that's that's difficult stuff, right? It's difficult to, to see it. It's difficult to see your team that exposed, but they were certainly exposed uh, this, this past uh, game as well. Friday night in Philly were the Raptors. I actually didn't watch a minute of this game. I I followed on the ticker because I was more interested in the women's final four and those games I think were actually more exciting. Certainly the teams felt like there was more at stake in those games. The coaches uh, were definitely nervous were Doc Rivers and Nick Nurse. I wouldn't say going through the motions. They coached as as good a game as, as they could have been asked for in game 77 of the season. Um, but it just wasn't as intense. The crowd wasn't as into it. Uh, listen, Dallas Mavericks fans have never been as loud as Iowa fans were last night cheering for, for their team. And Philly's fan, Philly fans can be great, but, you know, they, it wasn't a huge game for either team on the schedule. Um, obviously, Philly's trying to catch Boston, but I don't think that's going to happen. And, yeah. Um, this game was, uh, you know, a game that we've seen before between these two teams. These two teams have some clashing identities and styles and coaches, which makes sense that a, that a team would embody or at least express the coach's style and interest and, and giftedness and um, basketball philosophy. And in this game... Uh, you know, obviously Joel Embiid and James Harden are the best two players on the floor um, when there's a game played in Philly usually. And it's one of those games where you know Embiid is going to get his, but also the Raptors are going to do everything they can to get the ball out of his hands 
because he's just such a mismatch, even for Pirtle. Joel Embiid is just a beast. There's very few guys that have ever been able to cover Joel Embiid, especially this season, especially from the Toronto Raptors. And Pirtle did his damnedest, but um, wasn't really able to contain him much, except for the fact that Joel Embiid picked up two quick fouls in the first quarter, and that had him on the bench for a large chunk of the second quarter, probably a lot longer than he would have sat in the second quarter. And when that happened, you would think this would be the time for the Raptors to impose their size against uh, a Joel and Beadless 76ers team. But as we saw early in the season, the second game that these two teams played in Toronto, the Raptors couldn't take advantage of it. Uh, P.J. Tucker hit three threes. He averages like four points, five points a game. He had nine in this one, all from downtown, from the corner. And I think overall the Raptors are going to live with that. And he hit two of his three points, had six of his nine in the first like two minutes of the ball game. I think you're going to live with that overall. Um, but as Embiid sat and Maxi got going and the Sixers bench got going and then Harden just made some ridiculous shots – um, the Sixers got up 20. Now, listen, the Raptors had some slow starts. Even against Miami, they were down 14-4. to In this one, they were down 16-7. Raptors got back into it really quick. And you don't want to start off the game down 5, down 10. You know, that's just not going to be a good look. It, 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 it allows a team to build confidence. It forces you to expend more energy than you really want to in the first quarter. You want to execute. You want to be measured. You want to save your energy if you can till the second half, but you want to come out with a punch. And the Raptors had no punch in that first, you know, three, four minutes, got back on their, on their back heel and then really had to crank it up. And that takes a lot out of a team um, and it wasn't different in this game. The Raptors did get up 22-21 in the first quarter. And then uh, Philly was able to get a little more control back. They only led by one after one with the score 31-30. So good job of the Raps overall. And then the wheels came off in that second quarter. As I said, Maxi got going. Harden got going. The bench got going. And, you know, when I looked at this game on the schedule... I thought maybe the Sixers have kind of secured themselves in the three, have no chance at the two, and maybe we catch them off guard. Maybe one of Embiid or Harden sits. Actually, Tobias Harris sat tonight, um, which doesn't really change much uh, focus for the Raptors. They actually would just lean on Tobias shooting the ball from the corners, much like P.J. Tucker, and it's kind of a flip of a coin. Maybe he shoots well, maybe he doesn't. We've seen games like that. But when you're on the road in Philly, a tough place to play. They're 28 and 11 this season. There have been many years where they've been in the top three in the league at home. This year, very good home record. Um, again. Uh, and the fans, you know, get into it, get behind it. Um, Joel Embiid wants to play well in front of the home crowd. But you looked at it and you saw that Gary Trent Jr. wasn't going to be in this game and you 
you knew this was going to be an uphill battle. And in that second quarter, even though uh, Pirtle and Pascal were on at one point, Pascal and Fred weren't at one point, the bench just for the Raptors just had nothing. And Philly is a great scoring team. They're, they're going to fill it up. Um, knowing that they got Maxi, Embiid, and Harden, that's, you know, uh, as good a scoring trio in the league. You know, tell me another better scoring trio. You could look at Porter Jr., Jamal Murray, and Nikola Jokic. Um, you could look at the Splash Brothers and, and Jordan Poole, Pool Parties. You could look at that. Um Obviously, Memphis can get going if Jaws playing super well and Desmond Bain has his shot going. Even Dylan Brooks gets into the offense. Um, yeah, you, they're kind of on the outside looking in. If Zion is healthy and starting, CJ McCollum, B.I., that can be a really dangerous triple threat. Norm Powell comes, you know, with a full octane off the bench. Um, you know, Paul George and... Uh, Kawhi Leonard, like, yeah, all those trios, and there's a few more, KD, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, if he's got it going that night. Those are all good trios. But this Embiid, Maxi, Harden trio, on any given night, can drop 80, 90 points. Like, any of those guys can score 30. And, you know, probably Harden's past the days of scoring 40. Um, But Maxi and Embiid, certainly Embiid leads the league in 40-point games this season. Um, they are able to torture you, especially at home. And so you knew this game was going to be tricky. And what you were going to need from your team was a real good bench game. And without Gary Trent Jr., it was going to be tough. Um, not a lot of play from the bench. Chris Boucher, 18 minutes, led the minutes from the bench. Precious Chu only had seven. That's mostly because they didn't show up in that second quarter. Christian Coloco, tough matchup with Paul Reed this year. As Paul Reed's taken a jump, a leap in his game. Nothing outrageous, but I've seen Philly play a few times, not against Toronto, but against other teams. Um, and he's been solid. And Coloco, you know, just a rookie. Um, although he was two for three from the field, just not enough, right? Just not enough. And then Jeff Doughton Jr. had a really tough stretch uh, in that second quarter. And then again uh, in the second half, he was a minus 13. The only guy who was worse in terms of plus minus for the Raptors was Pascal Siakam minus 15. And mostly because they threw him out there um, with the bench and, and the Sixers bench were just wolves tonight. They really were. Um, they were bloodthirsty. They were hungry to to prey on these Raptors, and it was it was tough. And so the Raptors get down twenty at the break after the Sixers score forty six. And, and you know there was a lot of lazy moments in that second quarter. Uh, there were a lot of lazy moments in general in the first half from the Raptors' defense. And yes, Harden made some truly difficult shots, but you you got to be better than that forty six. Like, even if they score 36, which is still 67 at the break, um, you know, that's a lot to give up for a, a defensive team that's supposed to be really good. 
But when the Philly bench scores 34 and doubles your total 17 on the night, uh, you know you're in tough. And certainly that was the case for the Toronto Raptors. Uh, They got down 77-57 at the break, and they had a mountain to climb in Philly, a real mountain. Now, kudos to the Raps. Kudos to the Raps. They got right back in this thing. Um, That third quarter, they cut the lead in half within the first four minutes of the second quarter. Scotty Barnes threw down another 360 jam. The defense tightened up. They came with that oomph. They came with that punch that you were hoping they would have in the first quarter. And, okay, they come out in the third quarter. They do that. They get the lead down to seven at one point in the third. Philly chips away, uh, is able to score 22. Raptors win the quarter by seven, but you were down 20. You're going down 13 going into the fourth. But at least they showed some fight. At least they showed when they have force, when they have purpose, when they have togetherness, that they can cut into the lead, that they can get advantages, that they can uh, frustrate Philly and turn them over a lot, get out in transition where they are one of the better teams in this league. Speaking of togetherness, let me just take a tangent for a second. And I know this came out all over Raptors Twitter, all over NBA Twitter. But in the pregame presser, a question uh, or a series of questions was asked of Nick Nurse about this season and the difficulties that it brought. And Nick Nurse talked about how difficult the season was for him personally who knows what's going on there, but also also from a team perspective. And he said that after 10 years of being with the Raptors, came to the Raptors in 2013 summer, I believe, as an assistant coach, he's, you know, he's contemplating his future as you do. And I think maybe a little more was made of it. I think he was more reflecting on 10 years more than just like, saying how difficult this season was. And it, of course it was tricky. The season before was tricky. Um, not just with the pandemic, but you, you just lost Kyle Lowry. And, and there was a new pecking order, a new culture that, that's trying to be built. That's not easy. You got new coaches coming in and out. You know, Tampa Bay was the season before. They didn't have Nate Bjorkman, his buddy, his mastermind offensively. And that season was, was really, really tough. And then, of course, there's, you know, some probably some butting of heads, probably some frustrations with the front office because they didn't go out and make some changes that you would have liked them to make. And your team gets, gets behind, right? All it took was Pascal getting injured. And this team found themselves going from a couple games over 500, you know, seven and five, nine and seven, to now nine and 13, nine and 14. And Nick Nurse was expressing this. Now, was it necessary? Was it helpful to say that? Does it, does it help team chemistry? Um, does it work as an adhesive? For your team at this stage of the season, going into a tough game on the road in Philly without one of your best, if not the best bench player that you have in Gary Trent Jr. I mean, it's questionable timing. 
Now, maybe he was just trying to be honest with the question at hand. And maybe there's been a number of times where things like this have surfaced, you know, whether it's been leaked, whether it's been, um, you know, alluded to. Certainly players on the team have said stuff this year that, you know, isn't what they would have said with a more veteran team in 2018, 2019, but now it's coming out because you got a younger group and you've got some personalities that are trying to, you know, express themselves, probably much like Kyle and DeMar were back in 2014, 2015, when things weren't always easy. And that's hard. All that's hard. And all that's natural. But timing wasn't the best from Nick Nurse. That's for sure. And maybe, you know, the questions from the media weren't happy. But, you know, I don't expect the media to do anything these days except for stir the pot and, and stir the gossip. And that sucks. I, you know, I, I go back to before the trade le- deadline. You know, February 9th was the trade deadline. And basically when January 1st came and a new calendar year was seen, all of a sudden all the media wanted to talk about was the trade deadline, the trade deadline. And that sucks. You know, I, I watch Premier League football, Premier League soccer. I follow a team quite closely in Arsenal. And there's a midseason transfer market, which is basically the same thing as, as the trade season. And for the whole month of January, it's it's pretty crazy, all the rumors and all the rumors that the managers, the coaches have to speak on, and some of the players do too. And when those rumors come up, if players are disgruntled, if coaches are holding some tension, sometimes that spills out, right? Sometimes this, the tea spills. And that's difficult. That's, that's really tricky um, for the players to have to navigate the front office, the owners, the managers, everybody is holding a lot of tension. But now you're just about to go into the to the play-in. You're trying to at least solidify the nine seed, and you got a difficult opponent in a difficult arena without your full roster, especially your best bench player, your sixth man. And that, I just don't think Nick Nurse should have answered that way. I definitely don't think the media should have asked that question. I don't think it's really all that professional, to be honest. It's just gossip and rumors and opinion. It's not necessary. But hey, this is the NBA. This is the media of the NBA. It's it's the greatest soap opera on television, even better than the WWE. So what do we expect? But it sucks. It was hard when you look at the first half to take some positives out of it. And you knew the bench was going to struggle, and they did. But I'll tell you this, and this is something Zion and I talked about last year, and even in the Tampa season. Where the Raptors really had to improve was in the, in the mid-range game. And if you can improve in the mid-range game, you can improve in the half court. That's for sure. And whether that transfers over, whether that translates into clutch minutes, that's another conversation. Because I think that's like a whole other element of the game. Talk, speak about 
uh, speaking on tension. But last night, if I had to point out some things in the first half I really liked, it was the mid-range game. Jakob Pertl continues to be strong with that push shot. He hit three or four last night. He was six of eight from the field. Fred Van Vliet had a nice mid, mid-ranger. OG Ananobi had a mid-range. Scotty Barnes hit two fadeaway mid-rangers. And Siakam wasn't great. He missed two in the fourth in, in crunch time, under five minutes to go. But he, but he hit a couple in the first half. And against Charlotte coming up, we got two games against Charlotte. That is going to be critical in creating separation against Charlotte. And let's be honest. We need to win those games to solidify the nine if we want any chance at the seven or eight seed. I think the six seed is done. It's well past us. Brooklyn won again last night against Atlanta. They're through. They're going to be the six. Good for them. Jacques Vaughn, in my opinion, deserves a lot of coach of the year votes. I think Mike Malone is going to win it, but Jacques Vaughn deserves credit because of what he's done this season with two different teams, getting Kyrie and KD to play at their highest level. Then they get traded. Then seeing the very best of Mikael Bridges. I think Jacques Vaughn has been tremendous this season. But that mid-range game is going to be so critical for the Toronto Raptors to help them perform at the highest level, to help them get out of this stuck-in-the-middle type situation that we find ourselves in. My gosh. Like, the Toronto Raptors are, as it's been said many times, pure mid, you know, like peak mid. But if they want a chance to get out of that and get into the playoffs and maybe even have a chance at winning a couple games in the playoffs, certainly if they're going to do it against Boston, which is going to be extremely difficult, they got to get that mid-range game going. And Gary Trent obviously gives you that. But Scotty Barnes, OG, Pascal, Fred Van Vliet, and again, even Pirtle with that 8 to 10-foot push shot is giving you mid-range options. And that's good to see. Third quarter, we cut the lead down to seven. We take the quarter by seven. We're, all, we're down 13 going in the fourth. And we got this game to within two points, 103-101. And we were right there. And then the Philly home court advantage. And again, that struggle we have in clutch moments. And it really comes down to Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet. We struggled. And we couldn't finish the game. And, and that's too bad. That's, what's, that's the difference between a top five guy like Joel Embiid, who can make those big time shots, a top five team, let's be honest, as much as we like to slander Philly, Philly is a top five team. And they can make big buckets in big situations. And they are just that good when you've got a, a, a trio that is almost as good as anybody in the NBA offensively. When you're a top five team at home and you can execute and when you got an MVP candidate and a guy who's a former MVP who is just slick, 
in James Harden, both playmaking and shot making at three levels. My goodness, they are tough. And we even won the fourth quarter, 24-18. We held Philly after they scored 77 against us in the first half. We held them to 40. I mean, we made it entertaining. We showed up. And if you said to me at the start of the game, we're going to lose by 17 and our bench is going to get it. I said, we're going to lose by seven and our bench is going to get outscored by 17. I'd say, yeah, sounds about right. And that sucks to just kind of concede. But that's what it is. That's what it turned out to be. Exactly what you thought it would turn out to be, it, it realized, right? And so we're 38 and 39, one game under 500 again, and have a chance against a Charlotte team that does not play LaMelo Ball anymore, which makes sense. That's their future. And a team that really isn't that great. You know, this is one of the the top seven, I'm sorry, bottom seven teams in the league. It should not be difficult for us to win both games. And hopefully we get at least one of those two games where we win by, you know, more than 10, 12 points where we can cruise. Our starters last night, 42 minutes, Pascal Siakam, 41 minutes, Ojananobi, 40 minutes, Scotty Barnes, 42 minutes, Fred Van Vliet. We need Gary to play 20. We need Chris Boucher, Precious Achua, and, and Jeff Doughton Jr. to play at least 12 minutes. But we need one of those games where our starters can play, you know, 35 or less minutes. So hopefully we get that. All right. The quest for the play-in, the quest for the seven seed will continue tomorrow, Sunday night. Men's final four play tonight, women's final tomorrow, and then Monday, no NBA games. It will feature just the men's NCAA final. Mad respect to all these kids who are playing at such a high level. A very, very exciting stuff. Watch it all. Uh, the women's game, as we saw last night, brings so much entertainment value, brings so much, many chess matches, and the coaches, the players, um, despite not being as tall or as athletic as the men, have just as much IQ. And I think Caitlin Cooper uh, is is worth the price of admission and more. So make sure you tune into that game. Tomorrow, Caitlin Cooper and the Iowa Hawkeyes going against the LSU Tigers should be an absolute treat. Enjoy your Saturday. Hopefully, hopefully you have some sunshine wherever you are. We'll catch up to you soon. Peace. I think I don't, I don't-